The NBA playoffs are heating up, and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code ROSS. That's code ROSS for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. <laughs> oh, yeah, it is. But it's not just any Ross Tucker Football Podcast. It is a Wisdom Wednesday presented, of course, by DraftKings. Today, the wisdom comes courtesy of Joe Pompliano, who I believe has been on Andrew Brandt's Business of Sports podcast at least once, maybe twice. If you aren't already subscribed, what are you doing? I mean, there isn't another show out there like Andrew's Business of Sports podcast. Make sure you subscribe to that because it's been a couple weeks since Andrew's been on this show. So you can't just expect to get your fill of AB on this show. You got to subscribe and either listen or watch Andrew's show. Uh, Joe Pompliano, very excited to talk with him. You know, it's really hard to cut through in the media space, right? It's really hard. I'll give you one. It's really hard to even be one of the people I follow. I'm not like bragging about that, but I only follow 79 people and Joe's one of them. Joe cuts through. He's a sports business guy, but a different sports business guy than Andrew. It's not like the front office executive contract stuff as much as it is more of the off the field stuff that I really enjoy from Joe's content. We'll get to him momentarily by the way you guys are crushing it people want to be the spread the word winner this week i've gotten several of the five star reviews keep them coming please whether it's spotify or apple Podcasts, i've got so many awesome press passes to sign and send you guys or a signed picture a football card whatever you want i want to send it to you just give a five star review it's crazy easy to do Screenshot it real quick on your app. Forward that bad boy to Ross at RossTucker.com, and you are in business. You can also take advantage of any of our sponsors, Simply Safe, Raycon Earbuds, Athletic Greens, big sponsor. We'll talk about them a little bit later today. And a lot of people have been hiring me to do these cameo videos of late. You can get them for free. Just subscribe to YouTube.com slash RossTucker. NFL make any comment on any video I see them all they come to my email and boom you have a great chance to get a shout out from your boy that you can use for your fantasy lineup just to make fun of your buddies whatever you want I don't care I'll say whatever you want me to say I'll also say shout out to Chris Koo 
KOO, the latest member of the Tuckheads family at patreon.com slash RT Media. It's Big Show time. The Big Show. So I have so many questions for this dude. All right. His name is Joe Pompliano at Joe P-O-M-P-L-I-A-N-O. Am I pronouncing that right, by the way, Joe? I have no idea. You're spot on, man. Okay, Pompliano. So I got a lot of funny things to say about Joe. First of all, I've been following him on Twitter for a while now, and I wanted to get him on the show like a few weeks ago. And he's like, ah, I could do two. I can't do that time, Ross, but I could do Tuesday at this time. And I got back to him, and like he didn't DM me back for a few days. I was like, okay. And then he finally DMs me back, and he's like, um, hey, man, I might be able to do this time. Um, I'm kind of getting married this week. <laughs> Uh, I, I probably should have said that from the start. The fact, Joe, see, like, I already know enough about, like, I already know a lot about you. You were trying to make it work, even though you're getting married that week, which tells me you are a go-getter. You want it. That was, you should have been like, dude, I'd be, I'd love to do your show anytime other than this week when I'm getting married. That was amazing. The, the, the funniest thing is uh, when I first started doing this thing, I got a good piece of advice, which was basically do everything that you can, right? Big shows, small shows, everything in between. And, and obviously yours is one that I certainly wanted to do, uh, but I always try to make it work, right? And uh, that was one week where I was probably trying too hard, where I should have taken a step back and said, hey, like I'm getting married, maybe not right now, uh, but I'm glad we're able to do it today. How'd it go? Did she say yes? Did the whole thing go through? She said yes. Everyone showed <laughs> up. No problems, luckily. Uh, there's only a few things that can really go wrong at a wedding, and luckily we avoided all of those. Oh, that's awesome. So I got to hear your background, man, because uh, it's interesting. You are a a sports business guy, or as you say, sports and business, which is interesting because, you know, Andrew Brandt has the Business of Sports podcast as part of my network, the Ross Tucker Podcast Network, and he's like former agent, former front office executive, talking about the legal stuff like the Sean Watson suspension and the contracts and stuff. You are like a sports and business guy, but I feel like it's more off the field. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair. The, the, the summary of my background really uh, just came out of passion for sports and business, right? So that's why I combined the two. I used to work at, uh, I, I worked at Octagon Sports Agency in Washington, D.C. for a short period of time. I moved up to New York City, spent the last five or six years at J.P. Morgan. So at some point I was like, hey, why don't I merge these two together? I've been interested in sports my whole life, grew up playing, thought I wanted to be an agent at first, eventually settled for more of a finance role. Uh, so it's really just born out of passion. It's things I enjoy talking about. And Andrew's a person that I always point to when people ask me about exactly what you said, right? Uh, legal things, front office things, player contracts, media deals, stuff like that, because he has direct experience in those situations. So I think like we're in this weird world now where we can coexist in different scenarios and uh, it's been really fun getting to know Andrew for sure, but also just existing in the same space over the last few years. Yeah, I think it's awesome. What was your role at JP Morgan, Joe, if you don't mind me asking? I was on the fixed income trading desk. So I was uh, an analyst and then an associate. I left uh, two years ago, three years ago now. So it was on the wealth management side, essentially trading uh, fixed, in sub fixed in income securities bonds for rich people. <laughs> Got it. Yep. Um, Two thoughts on that. One is when I was dating my wife four years, um, you know, after college, she was at JP Morgan the whole time. 
So I was in Washington, Dallas, Buffalo. She was in Manhattan uh, working for J.P. Morgan. And then secondly, if I had gone the Wall Street route, that probably would have ended up being my job, like a fixed income sales trader probably. I accepted a job. You'll appreciate this. I don't know if I've ever told this story to my listeners, but you know, I went to Princeton and it just seemed like everybody does the finance thing, right? And they start to tell you, you know, they all come recruit on campus and they tell you how much money you make your first year. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to do that too. <laughs> like, So I accepted a job with Lehman Brothers in 2000. Uh, I accepted in 2000. I would have started in 2001. Sales and trading. And so like they had, they had like a two-year rotational sales and trading program, I think, that I would have done. So what's, what's interesting about that and I might have said this before, maybe not, is, um, you know, I get signed by, at the time, the Redskins. So I call Lehman Brothers, and I defer it for a year. And they're like, I'm like, listen, I got signed by the Redskins. Like, you know, can I defer this for a year? And they were like, absolutely, no problem. Um, and then the next year, I was starting in the preseason for Washington. So I called them to defer it again. And whoever, whoever I talked to was like, yeah, I actually saw you on TV the other night. Like, you're starting. Like, you don't need to keep deferring it every year. Because, Joe, I was totally like, hey, this football thing could end at any year. Like, I want to yeah. keep that job. They're, they're, like, they're like, call us back if you're ever interested, right? Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, and they said. Stop, stop deferring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They say you don't need to defer anymore. We have, like, a file on you, and we know we offered you the job. Like, play football as long as you can or as long as you want. But what's crazy about Joe is – um. You know, there's a there's a scenario where I spend seven years at Lehman Brothers, rise up the ranks, get a bunch of stock, whatever, and then the whole company goes bankrupt and it crashes. I yeah. mean, that would have been a disaster, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Lehman Brothers is obviously a cautionary tale, but you're right. Look, it's a very appealing job for a lot of people out of school, and it was certainly obviously appealing to me. Uh, but then you get in this weird world where it's one of those jobs where it's like a very straight line path. You know, like you're getting promoted at certain instances year after year, you're, you know, kind of 30 years out where you're headed. Um, so it, it, it just wasn't something I was interested in long term when I had the ability to talk about sports and business all day. So how would you describe what it is that you do now and what do you attribute your growth to? So I do a variety of things. Uh, I probably spend about 50 to 60% of my day creating content around sports and business. Uh, the way I like to think about it is the money and business behind sports. So that could be everything from team valuations um, to media deals to stuff like that. Then the other 30 to 40 to 50%, uh, depending on the day, is spent on investments. So I do a lot of early stage investing. Uh, me and my brothers have a family office that we put together a couple of years ago. It started out initially in uh, some crypto sector stuff two or three years ago, maybe even four or five now. And uh, we've moved to more sports kind of uh, early stage investment opportunities also. So it's created this nice opportunity. And that's really why I started doing a lot of this audience building stuff was uh, the ability to get in front of uh, founders and entrepreneurs and bring an advantage to the table, right? Like why would they accept money from me for an investment rather than uh, some venture capital firm or some other wealthy individual? The idea was to bring them an inherent advantage, which is an audience. So the reason uh, that's the reason I started doing it. And then how did I do it? I, uh, started tweeting. <laughs> you, you saw me on Twitter. Uh, I started tweeting. I was doing threads. I was doing all this stuff, writing a newsletter on the back of that. And now I do a bunch of other video content also. So it's been fun over the past couple of years, but 
Um, I joke that I probably work more hours now than I did at JP Morgan, which uh, I'm sure a lot of people there probably wouldn't believe because it's obviously a strenuous job also. Yeah, so let's get into that a little bit. Um, you mentioned franchise values and valuations. We just had a sale in the NFL with the Denver Broncos. I, I guess I'm curious. The, the franchises obviously all keep going up. We know that the valuations. I feel like it is hard to value those. And, and oh, I also saw was it Josh Harris? You know, the owner of the Devils and the Sixers, who said he would have gone up to five billion if he got assurances from the Broncos that they wouldn't let uh, Rob Walton match it, which I thought was interesting because on the one hand, I thought, well, why not just put forth your best offer? On the other hand, I guess I've heard people say he didn't want to do that because that would raise the price on the next team that comes up for sale that he tries to go after. Yeah, there's certainly some game gamesmanship. Uh, and it's funny you bring that up because I've been asked about that specifically of like, is he just going to go buy another team? Because if you're another owner saying that you heard someone's offering $5 billion and your franchise is currently valued at 3 or 4 or 4.5, maybe you're interested in that, right? I think that obviously makes a lot of sense. But I think really the easiest way to think about this is just uh, uh, revenue multiples, right? So the average professional sports team usually trades at like six to seven times its last, year, last year's revenue. So 2021 revenue. The Broncos sold for nine times revenue, which is obviously uh, two to three X what they should have sold for. And the reason I think that happened was a number of reasons. Obviously, there's like a scarcity factor with NFL teams. There's only 32 of them. There's a lot of billionaires in the world. They can all afford it if they really want to. 32 teams set, uh, set supply. If there's higher demand, the price goes up. But the other part of this is I think the NFL specifically, uh, and the Broncos are certainly the case of this, are benefiting from a few different tailwinds that we're seeing in the market. If you look at streaming is a good example, right? Amazon came in. We all know what they did. They got the rights to Thursday Night Football, going to pay a billion dollars a year. The NFL is now going to bring in $110 billion over the next decade in media rights. A lot of that money goes to the teams, right? So you're getting hundreds of millions of dollars every single year just from these media rights. It's kind of like a, like a bond, right? Or a fixed in income security at some point where you know kind of what you're going to get paid. So I think the tailwind of streaming, all these people coming in, we're seeing Apple and baseball and MLS now. If they keep bidding and the rights go higher and higher and higher, that's obviously good for these franchises. And then we have sports betting, which is obviously another big one. That's going to be a multi-billion dollar industry if it isn't already. And I think what we're seeing is that these revenue multiples are expanding, right? They used to be six to seven. Now in the Broncos case, they're nine. And if you look at the people that have benefited the most from this, obviously it's, it's families and individuals that have held their teams for decades. But even uh, David Tepper, right? He bought the Panthers, I think it was in 2008, uh, 2018 for just over $2 billion. That's marked up considerably in just four years. The Bills are another example. They bought uh, their team maybe 2014, 2015. Theirs has been marked up considerably over the last few years. And then the last thing I'll say on this is the one thing that I don't think people are giving enough credit to is if you look at franchise valuations across other sports leagues, uh, specifically here in the United States, take the NBA, for example. The NBA has a new media rights deal, which is coming up, which obviously is going to increase valuations, which is why I don't think we'll probably see an NBA sale for the next few years. Uh, the rights should probably go from a $25 billion deal to a $75 billion deal. So similar to the bump that we've seen in the NFL, that'll probably happen in the NBA. But the other part of this is that private equity is getting involved, right? And if you look at the franchise valuations, teams are selling for $4.5 billion now with the $4.65 billion with the Broncos. There's only so many individuals that can afford that, right? And the NFL obviously wants a controlling owner. 
So what do you do? You have to find other individuals or other businesses that can come and take minority pieces of that or, or put some capital up. And what we've seen is there's really high demand from private equity firms. Why do they like it, right? Because the money is there for a, for a long period of time. You're not pulling it out every year, every five years, every 10 years. It's a long-term asset. Uh, they have a, a long track record of price appreciation. Prices have gone up compared to the S&P 500, et cetera. And they're able to charge fees on these things. So the MBA, uh, long story short, has allowed these private equity investors in to own part of the teams. The NFL has not done that. And I think when the NFL does eventually do that, they will eventually do it. Uh, that's going to raise prices even higher. So I think right now, a lot of the owners are just holding on and saying, where are these prices going to go over the next five, six, seven years? Uh, and then we'll probably see more sales off the back of that. Fascinating, Joe. I love this stuff. Um, so I want to talk about the increased franchise value for a second from a player's perspective, right? That's the part that always frustrates me a little bit is – during the collective bargaining agreement and the negotiations, there's never anything put into place where the players benefit at all from the increased franchise value. And maybe they shouldn't. Maybe they should. Um, is there a way they could take that into account? In other words, Joe, you know, I think the players get 48.5% of the revenue or whatever. Um, in my mind, since the players don't benefit from the increase in the franchise value, somehow the NFLPA, look, it's all negotiation, but should try to highlight that and say, listen, yeah, we know about the rev split, but look what's going on with your franchise values. Obviously, there's no way for the players to participate in that. So we need to get a little bit more bite of the apple of, of the pie, which is all negotiation. But that's the part that it frustrates me that that's never taken into account when these negotiations are going on. Yeah, I think that's fair. And, and if you really think about it, um, the, the best players in the NFL, the NBA, et cetera, the superstars are almost always underpaid relative to the value that they bring. Right. And that's just mandated by the salary cap, how much they're able to spend, et cetera. So I'll give you an example. When Tom Brady uh, left the Patriots and went to the Buccaneers, he uh, instantly brought them, uh, their, their valuation jumped. It was like two times more than the average valuation that year. And the reason for that was they went from, I believe it was like 30th or 32nd in merchandise sales to first in the NFL. So that was one thing. Their season ticket prices jumped two to three X what they were previously, right? Uh, not, not from like a pure dollar standpoint, but the amount of interest in people that were applying for these tickets and, a various, and various other things. So I think when you look at it from a pure player perspective, there's certainly players that can demand more money, not only, off based, not only based on valuations, but based on the idea that they're actually bringing more value to the table. The problem is that uh, you have these CBAs, right? Which are dictating how much money is, is guaranteed through a rev share agreement. Uh, but I agree with you. At the end of the day, like players are going to want to share in this upside to some degree. Uh, and you get in this weird world where like maybe they start getting equity in some of these franchises. It's obviously been a long debate over a period of time. I don't think it's happening anytime soon. But at some point, the people that are bringing a lot of the value, the people that are playing these games, the people that are risking their health and safety probably deserve a bigger piece of that pie. And I think that's an argument that is going to keep coming up between the players union and the NFL themselves. Yeah, you all, you know, there's reports that the Dolphins were trying to give Brady some equity in the team to come over in this offseason, which is interesting. A couple other things I wanted to hit you on. Stadium naming rights and the valuation for that, Joe. We saw recently both the Steelers with Acroshore Stadium 
and the Bengals with Paycor Stadium. Fascinating to me because I'd never heard of either one of those companies. And I am of the mindset that I've always felt like the value in stadium naming rights is doing it while the stadium is being built. Because then for three years while they're building it, they're like, it's Pompliano Stadium. It's Pompliano Stadium. It's Pompliano, you know, because that's when they're talking about the most. And then you have it when when the stadium opens. Like I'm just telling you right now, I know that the TV networks and radio networks will have to call it Acroshore Stadium. And I'm sure they feel like the brand awareness and just those media mentions are worth it. But in Pittsburgh, I live in Pennsylvania. They're going to call it Heinz Field. Yeah. Yeah. And it's weird for the first few years, right? Like I guarantee a lot of people in Los Angeles are still calling crypto.com arena, the Staples center, right? Like it just doesn't change immediately. I think that one's probably a little bit different just because of the press that it garnered, right? Staples center was an iconic name and you're changing it to something else that's crypto related. And people are, are obviously interested in that. And we'll talk about that, but I totally agree with the point around uh, Heinz field, uh, which has now changed. I think that there's, there's still probably value in it. Maybe it takes two, three, four years. The broadcast is certainly going to have to, uh, it's certainly going to have to mention the new name changing all that kind of stuff, but ultimately you have to have the right business too, right? Like a local business probably doesn't benefit so much from a national stage or a national game like football or the NFL where uh, Sunday night football rolls in, Monday night football rolls in, you have 15, 20 million people watching your game. Like you want a national brand to some instance to be able to benefit from. And then your point around the, uh, the stadium being built, I totally agree. Like if you think about Los Angeles again, everyone knows that's SoFi Stadium. Right. That's just what it was called for the last few years. It's a brand new stadium, most expensive stadium in the world. Like they get a lot of value after having their name on there first when the stadium was built. And it goes back to Heinz Field also. Right. I think Heinz Field was the first and only sponsor before this. They've done it for 20 plus years and they've had the benefit of always being known as Heinz Field. So maybe some of this dies down over time. If they're there for a decade or two decades or three decades, they become known as the sponsor of the field. But ultimately, it's definitely it's definitely tough in the first year or two to get some uh, some mind share from fans. Last question, Joe. I, I thought it was interesting. Speaking of crypto, you mentioned the Staples Center is now crypto.com. You know what? I don't follow it that closely. What's going on with crypto? I guess I was surprised, given some of the headlines I had seen, that crypto would make that outlay of cash for Staples Center. Yeah, I think it depends, right? Everyone likes to look at uh, crypto in like a very generalized sense and just look at it as an industry. And I definitely think there's there's a bigger level of nuance to it than most people believe. And uh, if you look at the biggest players, right? FTX, uh, Crypto.com, Coinbase, et cetera. The people that were doing these big deals. So FTX has done, I think they've spent over a billion dollars on sports sponsorships so far. Crypto.com has done the same across the NFL, uh, the NBA, uh, UFC, Formula One, et cetera. These companies over the last uh, 12 to 24 to 36 months were printing cash, right? As the market grew, uh, they benefited tremendously. They're exchanges. So they're making money whether people are buying or selling these assets. Obviously, there's a degree where they want, there's more activity when the price is going up, et cetera. But I think that the thing that people need to worry about is a lot of this longer tail stuff, not the exchanges, but, but tokens and, and different companies like that that were built on the back of crypto uh, that really benefited from just the macro tailwinds over the last few years. I think those are the things that people need to worry about, right? So the NFL is not signing any of those deals. The NBA really isn't signing any of those deals. It's individual teams, mostly in Europe, but some here in the United States that were signing some of these like, some of these like third or fourth tier deals. Uh, and I think in a lot of instances, like you just got to be careful, right? There's, there's a risk curve and you don't want to go too far out on the tail. 
Um, and I think some people are getting caught in that area, but it's just like everything else, right? The, the, the uh, economy is obviously in a difficult position right now with uh, a recession and, and uh, how much inflation has happened over the past two to three years. So I think that everything is kind of depressed at this moment, right? Like just from a price standpoint and some things will emerge, some obviously won't. Uh, but I think when you're like an executive of a team or a league, like you probably just want to be as safe as you possibly can right now. And it's obviously appetizing, right? To answer your question of like, why would they do this? The idea is that you're creating an entirely new category, right? There was no crypto sponsor before this. So you're not cannibalizing existing sponsorship. And the other thing to remember is we're coming off COVID, right? So a lot of these leagues and teams were hit from not selling tickets, not selling merchandise, not selling concessions, not doing any of that. So they're looking for additional revenue to value their team, to turn operating profit positive, all of those things. And I think crypto was like an easy get for them. I just think some people probably went overboard and weren't as careful as they should have been. You need to check out this man on social media. Definitely going to be on the show again. Really enjoy his content at Joe Pompliano on social media. Uh, terrific job, Joe. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Congratulations on, uh, on getting married. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Ross. I'm a big fan of all your content for years now, so I appreciate you having me, and we'll have to do it again soon. Sounds great. You know what else doesn't necessarily sound great, but it tastes great? athletic greens i know some of you are like uh, i don't i don't i'm not into greens that's all the more reason to take athletic greens tastes good and unlike having to eat a boatload of vegetables you get 75 high quality vitamins minerals whole food source superfoods probiotics and adaptogens to help you start your day right for me i wanted it for gut health and i wanted it as a supplement to the lack of vegetables I eat. I try to eat vegetables, but I'm, I'm not getting nearly as many as I want. It's lifestyle friendly, which is cool. It costs you less than $3 a day. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Ross. Again, that is athleticgreens.com dot com slash Ross to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 seven in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Tux Takes. Good morning, Ross. Start today with the Chiefs. They signed nose tackle Danny Shelton. The Dolphins signed cornerback Mackenzie Alexander. Bucks inked Carl Nassib. Broncos signed Joe Schobert. So I'll tell you what happens here sometimes, Brian. Two things. And it, they could both be correct. Number one, the teams wanted to see what they had in some young guys. And they realized young guys aren't going to cut it. They need a veteran. They need a guy that can get it done. They need a fourth D end or a backup versatile linebacker or a run stuffer. And these guys probably didn't want to sign until they knew it was a landing spot where maybe they got some guaranteed money. Um, and they have an assurance because of that guarantee that they're going to be on the roster as opposed to going into another situation and competing where 
you know, they might not have been in as good of a situation. Ducks takes. Got a trade in the NFL. The Eagles trade wide receiver J.J. Ortega-Whiteside to Seattle for DB Ugo Amati. So Ortega-Whiteside, boy, he tried hard. I appreciated him as a blocker. Just never really worked out with him in the Eagles. Ugo Amadi has started a bunch of games for the Seahawks, has some nickel safety versatility. I feel like that's a good get. I mean, Ortega Whiteside, I don't think was going to make the Eagles roster. So to get a guy like Amadi, who, you know, can be in the mix with a bunch of other DBs in the mix for depth with the Eagles, seems to make a lot of sense to me. Ducks takes. Titans, Bud Dupree pleads guilty to assault in a pharmacy incident. So if he pled guilty, he's going to miss something. I mean, he's going to get suspended at some point and uh, miss a game. You you plead guilty to an offense like that, like assault, you're going to end up missing some time. So I don't know when that comes down, but I would think now that he's pled guilty, it'll come down before the season starts. I don't know how many games he'll miss, but I would think he'd miss some. It's a big loss for the Titans. They need him. Ducks takes. Drew Locke, uh, quarterback for the Seahawks, tests positive for COVID, so he's out for Thursday night football. Uh, Kenneth Walker, is it Kenneth or Ken Walker? I think he's changed it. Okay. From Kenneth Walker. Based on all the tweets I've seen, Bri, it sounds like he's no longer Kenneth Walker. He's now Ken Walker the third. Oh. By the way, Bri, what's the frequency, Kenneth, you shout? Do you know who sings that? That would be REM. Yes. I love when we're in sync on stuff like that, Brian. My sister was a big REM person. She also really liked Depeche Mode for a while. I don't even know what that song's about. What's the frequency, Kenneth? But anytime I meet a Kenneth or I hear Kenneth, that's what I think. So he has got a hernia. It's bad. It's not good. I mean, it sounds like I don't know if he's going to try to play through it. Good luck to Ken Walker the third with the hernia. And then Drew Locke was going to start tomorrow night, ESPN, Bry. Huge opportunity for him. This probably eliminates his chance to be the starter in the opener, this, this positive COVID test for Drew Locke. Although I don't really envision Geno Smith like taking this job and running with it, so I'd imagine Drew Locke starts at some point. Ducks takes. Zach Wilson of the Jets had his surgery. It was termed a success. Only had to trim the meniscus, not repair it, and obviously no other damage. So that's good news for gangrene. The Jets made it very clear that they're going to wait until he's 100%, which is code language for if Flacco's really playing well and we're winning, we're going to leave Flacco in. That's what that means. It also makes some sense, though, because I wouldn't bring Wilson back until he's gotten several weeks of preparation, throwing him back out there would be a disaster. You know, this is valuable reps, valuable time that he's going to miss. And unfortunately, he is not going to be set up for success when he returns, unless they do give him a couple weeks at least to try to get his, his, his feet back underneath him, literally. Ducks takes. And finally, the Patriots put... Malcolm Butler on IR. They paid him decent money to come back, and now he's done for the year. You know, it's interesting. Remember Belichick benched him in the Super Bowl? We never got the full story for that. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, 
I don't know what his injury is, but I don't know. It'd be interesting if you still weren't happy with Belichick for what he did to sign with the team and have an injury so you get paid to not play the whole season. That's not what he's doing. Don't say that. I'm not suggesting that. It's just that would be a heck of a way to stick it to Belichick if you're playing the long game, which Butler's not doing because he knows he'll probably get cut this offseason and have a tough time keeping his career going. I will give some shout-outs, Brian. You know why? Because I always do. Pizza Boy Brewing, Sportaculture, HumanHeadNYC.com, SteakhouseSports.com, Go-Bangles.com, Evergreen Economics, and the greatest gift you can give anyone, especially if you have an anniversary coming up, MyFrontPageStory.com. had an awesome meeting in my hometown about MyFrontPageStory.com, continuing to grow that business. Write about that, Joe Pompliano. Why don't you tweet about that? Anyway, we've got Joe Dolan on the Fantasy Feast today. So if you're into fantasy football, you got to hear Joe discuss the takeaways from week one preseason. What matters, what doesn't before your fantasy draft. And then Steve Fezzik gave out some more tips for preseason NFL betting week two. He crushed it week one on the Even Money podcast. If you don't listen to those shows, that's totally fine. But you're not doing everything you could to have success with those shows. I mean, that, that, that becomes the reality then. You're not really trying to win your bets or win your fantasy league. Other than that, we got the GOAT, Greg Cosell tomorrow. I think we're done here. Thanks for listening to the Ross Tucker Football Podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Fantasy Feast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and College Draft. All available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.